Good morning, Exchange. If we haven't had the uh, opportunity to meet yet, uh, my name is Ray Jezik, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at Exchange. And this morning, we're going to be continuing in our series that we've been going through called Welcome to Church. Uh, we've been looking at what um, Scripture has to say about the church, and more specifically, what it looks like to be a member of exchange, a committed member of exchange. And throughout this series, we've identified five commitments for members of exchange, and we've spent the last eight weeks going over the first four commitments. So I wanna start off by reviewing what the first four commitments were. It's good for us to continue to hear what these are because we want these commitments to be woven into uh, the DNA of exchange. So the commitments that we've covered over the last eight weeks, first of all, we covered pursuing community and embracing accountability. Secondly, we commit to submitting to the care, correction, and protection of leadership. The third thing we're committed to is protecting the unity and health of exchange. And last week, Doug wrapped up our fourth commitment, which is commitment to sharing our time, resources, and gifts for the mission and ministries of exchange. So now we arrive this week at commitment number five, last but definitely not least, commitment five. We made it to the end. And so commitment number five is that I commit to engaging my circles as a full-time minister of the gospel. So if you wanna take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter five, we're gonna start in 2 Corinthians chapter five, we're gonna spend some time there, we're gonna go to a couple other passages, but you can go ahead and turn there now as we get started. So commitment number five is a little bit unique from the other commitments in a few ways. Uh, let me talk about those. First way it's slightly different is that you've heard throughout the, our series as we've been talking about the first four commitments, this idea of arrows out, arrows out. And we've been talking about arrows out as it pertains to other members of exchange. And so when we say arrows out, we're talking about think of yourself less and think about the other members of exchange more. So we're putting others before ourselves, we're, we're considering others better than ourselves. And that's the concept of arrows out that we've been talking about. And similarly, commitment number five is also about arrows out, but primarily what we're talking about this morning is arrows out from exchange to the world around us. So this is arrows going out to the world. So it's different in that way. Second way, it's slightly different from the other commitments is each commitment we've gone through, there's, there's a call to action. We're called to do something. And again, this commitment is similar to those in that way in that we're committed to an action here, which is engaging our circles. But this commitment is unique in that there's an element of identity, which isn't in the other commitments, that's in this one. And it talks about not just what we're supposed to do, but who we're supposed to do this action as. And so there's an element of uh, identity in here. It says we're to be a full-time minister of the gospel. So what does that mean? What, do we, what does that mean to be a full-time minister of the gospel? Does that mean we are all gonna quit our jobs and we're gonna move into the flex space together? Christy says there's no way that's happening. She says no, so that's not what it means. So, so what does that look like? And so I think it makes sense for us, since there's a, an, an element of identity and there's an element of action, I think it's gonna make sense for us this morning to start at the end and talk about the identity of a full-time minister of the gospel and then to work our way to the beginning, which is the action of engaging our circles. In Ecclesiastes 7, it says that the end of a thing is better than the beginning, so you know, let's apply it to commitment number five. 
and, uh, and we'll see how it goes. And then hopefully by the end of our time here this morning, you won't be thinking about how Ecclesiastes 7 applies to my sermon. <clears throat> All right, so to help ensure that, let's go ahead and, and open with prayer. So we come together this morning and we want to hear from you more than anything else. We ask that your word would penetrate deep within our hearts and that we would become more like Christ as a result of our time together. I ask, Lord, that any of the stress or discouragement or distractions that may be with us here this morning, that they may be quieted in our minds so that we can clearly hear from you in your word. Lord, I pray that you bless our time here this morning. In your name, amen. So some of you know, Christy and I have recently entered into a brand new phase of life. This fall, we took our daughter Ella, who many of you know, and we took her to South Carolina and we dropped her off at a one-year gap program called One Life. And so as we fired our last arrow out of the quiver, we officially became empty nesters. And so it's kind of an interesting experience becoming empty nesters, you know, because really for the uh, for over 20 years of our marriage, Chrissy and I have been known as Maggie and Ella's parents, and a lot of our time and energy and our resources have gone into raising our kids. And so we drop Ella off, and then we find ourselves at home alone. It's just Ray and Christy now. And we sit down to dinner, and it's just two of us. Does this mean it's a date because there's only two of us now? It, it, do we still eat at the table? Is it okay for us to sit on the couch now and eat dinner? Uh, and what about these empty bedrooms now? Is it too soon to turn those into a man cave? Can I, can I do that now? And we have a lot of extra time as well. And what are we supposed to do with that time? Maybe we're supposed to become pickleball people now. I think that that's what you're supposed to do with extra time now when you become empty nesters, right? So let's play some pickleball. And so you kind of have this moment of where you're trying to figure out, well, who are we now as Ray and Christy? Like, what's in store for us in this phase of life? And there, can be, uh, there might be people here this morning who have those similar types of questions, but as it relates to your walk with Christ. Like, how does God want to use me in this stage of my life? Like, what does he have in store for me where I'm at right now? Um, or can he even use me right now in this phase of life? It doesn't feel like God could actually even be using me. Um, so what is God's plan for my life and, and where does he have me going? So I think our time this morning is gonna really help uh, maybe give some uh, clarity to some of those questions. Uh, so let's dive right in. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 17 through 20. So I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing, and then we'll kind of step back through some of the verses and, and, and dig into what it says. It reads, uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting the wrongdoings against them, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So the first thing we see here back in verse 17 is that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the person is a new creation. Uh, or some of your translations might say yeah, a new creature. And so you look at this wording like creation, a new creature, this is similar to what you see like back in Genesis when God created everything. Out of nothing, he created something completely new. And this is the same kind of picture that we have here. He's creating something completely new in us. It's different. Um, and so 
it doesn't say, notice that it doesn't say that when you're in Christ, the life you had is made better or improved. Uh, it doesn't say that when you're in Christ, you start to live your best life now. It doesn't say those things. It goes on further. It further explains this. It says that um, the old things, the old things have passed away. That's past tense. They're gone. Old things are gone and they're replaced with what? Completely replaced with new things. So we have been completely and fully made new. So your old life in Christ is you're not just made better. It's gone and you're given a completely, you're made completely new creation. And so because our life has been completely and fully replaced, we are full-time ministers because we have been fully and completely remade. So when we talk about this concept of being a full-time minister, it's rooted in the fact that we've been fully recreated in God. It's not part-time, we haven't been partly recreated, we've been fully recreated, and so we're full-time ministers. So I'm a visual learner, I love to see pictures to help ideas like remain in my brain, I, they, they stay with me better. So I actually had my daughter Maggie create two illustrations for us to, to help maybe visualize this. So I got this picture up on, on the screen here that sort of represents our life. You've maybe seen pictures like this before. And you've got these different uh, aspects of your life like work and family, social, recreation, finances, spiritual. And so when we hear about that, I think I'm gonna give this Jesus thing a go. And I know where, I know where that goes in my life. It goes in the spiritual component. And I, and I kind of feel like maybe if I upgrade the spiritual component of my life with this Jesus thing, uh, it might have this sort of residual or this kind of bleeding effect into the other areas of my life, and they might get better too. And, and this, might, this thing kind of might work out for me. So this is a picture, this is not at all, <laughs> this is a picture of what this is not saying. This picture is not at all what we see in this text. Um, this picture is what it looks like Jesus to be like a life upgrade or a bolt-on or a renovation or makeover of your life, but that's not what it's saying here in this text. And so we can look at a second illustration of what this looks like, what, what actually it's saying here. What does it mean to be a, a, a new creation? And so when you're, an, when you're in Christ and you're a new creation, everything is different. The old things are gone, new things have come. Jesus is in every aspect of your life, and it's different. It's completely different. Let's take an example. Let's look at like the work component, right? So but if you, before Christ, you maybe have worked for, uh, to make a lot of money so that you can buy all the things that you want. You wanna get rich. Maybe your uh, sense of security or identity comes from your job and so you're working and you wanna climb up that corporate ladder and you want, and you feel good when you're getting those promotions, you're moving up. Uh, or maybe your work gives you this sense of who you are and your identity and, 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 and this is why you go to work and why you work hard. But when you're in Christ, old things have passed away. Work is completely made new. Now, in Christ, we don't work for our boss or even ourselves, we work as unto the Lord. It's a totally different kind of work. We earn a living and we make money so that we can provide for our family, and not that we can just accumulate wealth and buy lots of toys, but that we can be generous toward others. Our sense of self-worth and security, it now comes entirely from Christ. It doesn't come from our identity and our job. And so we, we have a completely new view um, from our work. Uh, we might actually forego promotion. We may say, you know what, I don't want that promotion because it might take away from time that I need to spend with my family or may prevent me from doing ministry at church that I wanna be doing. 
So it's a totally different way of doing work. If you look at the social part, as another example, you know, we think about the people around us, the people in the world, and, and what, a, what a worldly view of like success or people that you would want to associate with or be around. And you think about people who are super talented at music or they might be very attractive or they might have like a perfect family or a million Instagram followers or whatever. And these are the people we want to associate with. These are the people that we want to be around and we want in our social circles. We want uh, those types of people. But within Christ, if you look back, actually if you look back at verse 16 in 2 Corinthians um, 5, Paul actually gives us a description of what, of what this new, uh, new um, creation looks like when we think about other people. 2 Corinthians 16 says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh. Even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. So we don't even see people anymore according to their flesh, according to what they look like from a world standard. We see them as spiritual beings now, right? They once knew Christ as a person on earth, but now we know him as spirit. And so it's a totally different way of seeing people. And like you could think about, for instance, um, how you might view a homeless person, right? You might think of them as someone who's a drag on society, they're kind of a nuisance, or they're the culmination of a lot of bad life choices. But we don't see them according to the flesh anymore, we see them as someone who's created in the image of God. We see them as someone who's worthy of love and forgiveness, and we're not associated to associate with people like that, because the way we view people has been completely transformed. We don't even see them anymore according to the flesh. And so there's just a couple examples, but it's true for all the other parts of our life as well. And so when we're in Christ, a whole bunch of things are made new. And so I got a list. We're going to go through this list pretty quickly. We don't have a lot of time. And I got verses up here, so you want to just jot those down. I don't have time to go through all of them. That would be good just for us to kind of cover a couple of things that are made new. First of all, we're given a new way of living. And this is what we talked about with the circles just, just a second ago, right? We live differently because we are in Christ. Jesus is, is over everything in our life now. We're given a new family. You think about that new family quadrant. Now we are adopted, it says in uh, Ephesians 1, 5, we're adopted as sons and daughters. And so now I look at all of you and you're my brothers and sisters. And we refer to God as our father. Our family now has completely changed. It's been made new. It's not just our biological family. Uh, we're given a new inheritance. Even though we're adopted, we're given full access to the inheritance. In 1 Peter 1, 4, it says that we're promised an imperishable inheritance reserved in heaven for us. <clears throat> Fourthly, we're given a new name. I love this one. I love the new name. So if you look throughout scripture, you look throughout the Bible and you see these like key players in God's plan. And what God does when he calls someone to like a special mission, he gives them a new name, right? It's pretty cool. He gives Abram a new name, Abraham. He gives Sarai a new name, Sarah. Jacob, he gives the name Israel. Uh, Simon, he gives the name Peter. And Saul, he gives the name Paul. So when he calls people out to special mission, he gives them this new name. And what's cool is, I don't know if you remember this when we were going through the Revelation study, but Jesus has given you a new name as well if you're in Christ. He's given you a new name. Man, I love to imagine like, man, I wonder what my name might be. I think it's probably something really cool like Maximus or something. I think that's probably how, how Jesus refers to me like all the time from heaven, right? So it, it's, it, it's probably worth like 
pausing here for a minute because we're talking about all this new stuff and old things are gone, they're replaced and we're a completely new creature and there's likely many of us sitting here this morning and we're thinking, man, that new, new stuff sounds really great but I gotta be honest with you, a lot of days the old things don't seem like they're gone, that they're dead, that they're former and in the past. A lot of times they feel like they're creeping right here um, in my life. And, um, and, and there's a reason why we feel that way. Um, because even though God makes us completely new and all these things are true about us, he makes a decision to leave us here on earth in our flesh. So what does that mean? So when God saves you, right, he could say, oh, if, my, if the only plan for God uh, for your life was to, to sanctify you, make you perfect, if that was his only plan for you, when you became a Christian, he'd immediately take you to heaven because you're gonna be made perfect and had to be perfect in heaven. If that was his only plan, that's what he would do. But he has a bigger plan for us. And so even though he creates us and makes us new when we're saved, he leaves us here in a foreign land. Remember, we're citizens of another kingdom. But now we're foreigners in this place. So we're foreigners in this land. He leaves us behind enemy lines. There's an enemy who's constantly trying to tempt us and tell us that the old things are better than the new things. Um, and he leaves us in, in this flesh, which was, which was born corrupted in this, plant, in this world. But, but why does he do this? Like, is, it, is he kind of cruel that, to open our eyes to our own sin and to open our eyes to the sin and the evil in the world around us? and then to just leave us here to struggle in that? Is, is he just kind of being mean to us? No, he has a purpose for why he's doing this, and here it is. It's important for us to understand this because this is why we're still here, that he has a purpose for us. As a new creature, we're given a new work or a ministry to do, or said another way, as a new creation, we have been equipped and we've been given a ministry. This is why we're here. When God created us, he equipped us and he gave us a work to do. Christy and I were uh, sitting on the couch one night and um, she was showing me a video of this uh, four-year-old boy, his name was Miles. Maybe some of you have heard about Miles. I don't know, uh, I think I got a slide with a picture of him here. Well, Miles was sitting at home during the pandemic and he was super bored and like a lot of kids were. And so he picked up an old guitar that they had laying around the house and he, you know, he just started playing with that. Like, he's not just like hitting random strings. He's actually playing music. Uh, he's not just playing music. He's playing chords. And soon after, Miles got bored of the guitar and he started playing the piano. Same thing, notes and music. And then he started playing the ukulele. Notes. Miles started playing. And his parents, of course, are like, "What is happening? Like, he's never had a lesson. He can hear perfect pitch." And he, can, and he can make music. And, and then over time, Miles is creating his own songs. He's remixing them on his computer and he's doing all this like incredible stuff. And of course, his parents are filming all this, they're putting it on the internet, because of course that's what all parents do, right? And so he goes viral. Like, and we, we look at someone like Miles and we would say, he's a prodigy. He, or you would say another way, you'd say, he was born to do music. Miles was born to do music. And in the same way, we weren't born, but we were reborn to have this ministry from God of reconciliation. So when, when, God, um, when God remakes us, oh, actually, let's, sorry, let's look at verse 
Do we have uh, verse 18 up here about the ministry? Yeah, okay, sorry. So we need to read this first. <laughs> the scripture is very important. All right, verse 18. So let's, let's read about this uh, ministry that we've been given. All right, so now all these things are from God who reconciled himself through Christ's affiliation. This is an important part. What is this ministry? It's the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was, recon was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoing against them, but he has committed to us this word of reconciliation. So this committing of this word of reconciliation is this is implanting the word of reconciliation into us. And so if we think about this, the, the Miles example, like when we're recreated new, right? God creates something brand new in us. He weaves into the DNA of that new creation a ministry of reconciliation and a word of reconciliation. He's equipped us to do this work. And this is why we're still here. This is a ministry that we only do here on earth. You won't be doing a ministry of reconciliation in heaven. And so that's why we're left here to do this ministry of reconciliation. So it's woven into our DNA of our new creation. So let's, let's flip over real quickly to Mark uh, chapter 4. Um, uh, so if you look at Mark chapter 4, Jesus is in the middle of telling uh, a number of parables about um, salvation and evangelism. And he, he just got done telling a parable about the soils where he, he's saying like a good soil is identified because it's producing uh, a crop, it's producing fruit. So right after Jesus is talking about this, he tells uh, another story uh, that's related. He says, and he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket or under a bed, is it? Is it for nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that which would come to light. So what Jesus is saying here is that it makes no sense for someone to light a lamp um, and then to hide it or to put it, put it away because when you light a lamp, you, you want it to bring light to the darkness. And so it's sort of like this, right? It's sort of like if I were to put my cell phone light on and put my phone in my pocket. Now, I realize that by doing that, um, I just triggered everyone under the age of 30. Deep breaths, it's gonna be okay. This, this is, we're, we're going somewhere here with this, okay? And I realize that everyone over the age of 30 is looking at me right now going, oh, bless his heart, I do this all the time. Just the other day, I had my flashlight on for half the day, I think. And the point is this, right? When, when you see someone's light in their pocket, their cell phone, nobody puts the flashlight on their phone. It's wasting all this precious battery. You don't do that and put it in your pocket. This looks ridiculous. Nobody does this. In fact, this is so unusual and terrible that complete introverts will go up to total strangers to let them know you, you have a problem. You have a problem. You're not doing it right. This, this, your light is on and it's in your pocket. It makes no sense. It's allowed to create us brand new and weave into our DNA this, this ministry and word of reconciliation to not have that reach the people around us. It's what we were created to do. If we go back to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 20. If you flip back over there, Paul gives us a, a, a word or a title, a job title to this description of what we are doing. Verse 20, it reads, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. 
as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And I love this picture of an ambassador because if we think about what we know about an ambassador, it gives us some like depth of understanding to what it is we've been called to do. So what are some things that we know about an ambassador? First thing we know, ambassador is a citizen of one country and they're sent to live in another country. And similarly, we're citizens of heaven and we're sent to, or we're, we're called to stay here in a foreign country. Um, a, an ambassador, because they're sent and because they're living in this foreign country, they're going to understand the people and the culture of the place that they're living. And by understanding the people and the culture of the place they're living, it gives them a more effective means of communication and reaching the people who they're living with. Third, uh, being an ambassador is a king doesn't just pick anybody to be the ambassador, but they pick someone who is equipped to do that job. And, that, and it's a position of honor if you're chosen to get to go do that. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor. Fourth, they take part uh, in negotiations between different countries or kingdoms. So there are moved relations between the two countries. And last, and this is really the most important part, they represent the interests and mission of the sending country or kingdom to the place where they're at. They represent the interests and mission of the sending country. If you look back at verse 20, what are we doing? We're ambassadors for Christ, okay, that's what we're doing. And we're as though God were making appeal through us, so it's, it's incredible, God is actually like speaking through us. What are we begging them to do? On behalf of Christ, what are we begging them to do? This is the, the mission that we're on, the mission that we've been sent to be ambassadors for. What are we asking people to do? To be reconciled to God. That's the main thing, that's our mission. We're calling people, appealing them, appealing to them to be reconciled to God. And so that's what we're ambassadors for. We're not ambassadors for a sports team. We're not ambassadors for a political party or for an education methodology or a health and fitness regiment. We're not even ambassadors for a particular religious denomination. We're ambassadors for, um, for reconciliation to God. That's what we're calling people to do. That's the main thing. Okay. So we've talked about the identity part of, of our commitment. We talked about that we're full-time ministers because we've been fully and completely remade and that as a new creation, we've been equipped and given the ministry. So let's bring our circles. Um, so because the ministry that we've been given is one of action or engagement. We're not just called ambassadors in title. We're called ambassadors because it's describes the job that we're called to do. So this is a, a call to action, all right? So um, let's turn to Colossians chapter four. Uh, so turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter four. We're gonna be looking at verses two through six. I love this uh, section of scripture because it lays out a really clean outline for what an ambassador should be doing. So the context here for this, uh, this passage, Paul's in prison. He had this incredible church planting ministry, but now he's landed himself in prison. And so he's writing uh, this letter to, to the church of Colossae and, and he's asking them and instructing them to do certain things. So let's look at verse two. First thing, devote yourselves to prayer thanksgiving. And then he asks for a prayer request. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up the doors to this prison so that I can get out and that I can go back and do my church planting ministry, what God called me to do. 
right? Of course, you're praying to get out of prison. It's actually not what it says. It's not what Paul is asking for. He's not asking to get out of prison because Paul understood this important point. Paul knew that just because his circles have changed, that's the people that God has brought into his life to be able to impact, his mission remained the same. So Paul wasn't thinking about, well, my mission to impact others is this church planning ministry, and unless I'm out of prison doing that, I can't be doing my mission. When Paul arrived in prison, he actually describes himself in Ephesians as an ambassador in chains. So even though his circles of influence change, and this is true for us as well, in different phases of our life, our circles of influence will change. But our mission remains the same, ambassadors for the gospel. And so even though Paul's in prison, he's not asking for release, he's asking them to pray for something specific, that doors would be opened for the word. And so this is our first action. We're praying that doors would be open for the word. And so uh, we pray that God would give us opportunities to share this, uh, this message with others. And, and let me just say, this is not, not a super controversial statement, at least I don't think it is, but I'm gonna say this. There is a guarantee it, that if you pray this prayer, if you pray for open doors for gospel conversations, God will answer that prayer. If you, if you have the boldness to pray it, God will answer that. H how can I say that? Well, if you're in Christ and you're here breathing this air and you're here still on this planet, the mission is to reach others for reconciliation. That's God's mission. If you're praying to get on mission with God, he's gonna answer that prayer. 100% chance. And let me just tell you, as I was studying uh, or preparing for this message, I was super convicted about this part because I had not been doing this. And so I'm like, well, I gotta preach this to myself first, so I need to start doing this and praying for, for open doors. Now I work downtown Raleigh, and like every, every afternoon I'm down there, I try to go for a nice long walk around the whole, whole downtown area. And so I start praying for open doors for opportunities to share the gospel. <clears throat> and and since, since I just started praying this, I've had opportunities, I've had gospel conversations with Jeff, Marquise, Kenneth, James, Myra, God opened up doors because I started praying for it. And let me tell you this, tell you, I've been walking around downtown Raleigh for years, years. And I put my headphones in and I got my, I got my sermons going, my worship music. I'm being super spiritual here. I'm walking around downtown being real spiritual, but I don't see any of the people that I'm walking past. I start praying for open doors, boom, five opportunities. And here's the cool part. Four of the five people, they came up to me. They started talking to me. Only difference was through all those years to now is I'm praying for open doors. Just since I started preparing for this, five opportunities. So if you have the courage to pray this, this is gonna happen. But Paul asks for more prayer. Let's keep going. Look at, look at the rest of verse uh, four. Uh, open doors so that, what? That he may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned, that I might make it clear the way I ought to proclaim it. So the second prayer request that Paul is asking for is he's praying for boldness that when that door is open, that he would have the boldness to actually speak it. So God can give us an open door sometimes, an opportunity for a gospel conversation. And we might fear what that person might think about us. And we might not take that opportunity because we're afraid that they might think this is a really strange conversation or you're a really different person. I don't think I like you anymore. 
Um, or we might feel like, uh, you know, I really don't have time to talk to this person right now. I don't have time to engage this person. And so just because we have open doors, it doesn't mean that we're going to have the boldness to take those opportunities. Because it's really, it's not easy. And so we pray that God would change our hearts to soften our hearts to be able to engage those people, to step out in courage and to trust that, the, that God will use us in these conversations. Um, so he prays for boldness. Let's uh, keep moving. Verse five, he switches now over to conduct. He says in verse five, to conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. So Paul's talking about our conduct here. He's saying that we should be living as citizens of a different kingdom. Our lives should look different than the people who are around us, than the people who are in our circles. There should be a, diff a bigger difference in our lives between us and the people who are in our circles than where we happen to spend Sunday morning. We should look different. After all, we've been completely recreated in Christ. We should have a life that looks different, and it should be different to those around us. But it's worth noting here, because I think the enemy is so good at this. What, what, what Paul is calling us to here as ambassadors is not perfect conduct. We're, we're not called to be perfect people. And, and that's not contingent on our being ambassadors. And so you might be thinking, because I know I thought this, like there is no way, there's no way I can be an ambassador to my coworkers because of all those jokes I told, because of that one Christmas party, I've just done too many things in front of my coworkers. There's no way, there's no way I could ever be an ambassador for the gospel to those people. And, and the enemy wants you to believe that. Or you might think, how can I be an ambassador to my kids? I lost my temper and I yelled at them yesterday. There's no way that I can be used by God to be an ambassador to my children. So let me just say that God can use our failures as well and it's never impossible to be an ambassador for reconciliation. I remember one time I was at work and, and my coworkers know that I follow Christ and we were having a conversation with some people and I, and I said something, I said something, and it was really mean or I don't, I, by the grace of God, I don't remember what I said, but I remember what my coworker said to me. When I said this, he looked at me and he says, now is that something a Christian would say? Oh, is that something a Christian would do? And man, did that, hate. and so, you know, I had this decision. I said, oh, I was just joking. The enemy starts whispering in my ear, yeah, look at you. You're such a hypocrite. There's no way these people will ever believe in Christ because of your life. L look, at, look at what kind of a failure you are. You'll never be an ambassador. And by the grace of God, the Spirit silenced that voice and he gave me these words to say to that coworker. I looked at him and I said, you know what, you're right. That is not what a Christian would say. That's sin. And I need to confess that sin to God and he'll forgive me. And this coworker is like, uh, <laughs> hey man, I was just joking. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't trying to like stress you out or anything. Like I, I'm, I'm just kind of messing with you. And, um, and so, he, you know, he, he was kind of taken aback by that. But I said, no, no, you're actually correct. It's a, sin is a very serious thing, and God takes it seriously. And I can't just brush it off. But the good news is that God will forgive me if I confess that to him. So even in our failure, 
God can show people what reconciliation looks like. Because we're not perfect people, we're forgiven people. And even in our failure, we can show, we can't be ambassadors, we can show them what confession and forgiveness looks like. All right, and lastly, verse six, we see that uh, Paul says that our speech must always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So it's more than just our conduct. It's not just we live a certain way and that people kind of pick up the fact that we're different and become Christians. It's more than our conduct. We need to be speaking as citizens of a different kingdom as well. Um, there must be conversations that accompany our conduct in order for people to be pointed to the reconciling work of Jesus. And so one of the things I like to do here to, to, to kind of check myself if my words are being seasoned with grace and salt, I try to test my, what I'm saying to see if I'm being consistent in my speech. And here, here's kind of how I do that. Here's how I test myself. I think about what I'm saying, and I try to do this like real time, right? I, I think about what I'm saying and I ask myself this question. Is that what I would say, or is that how I would answer one of the elders at exchange? Is that what I would say to them? Or, or am I giving Christian answers to Christians, and I'm giving worldly answers to non-Christians? That's kind of how I, how I check myself. So for example, my neighbor, you know, we're talking in the front yard, he asks me a very typical neighborly question. Hey, how's Ella doing at school, right? And so, Oh, interesting, how's Ella doing at school? Well, I could give my neighbor a very typical and, and honest answer. I say, well, you know, Ella, she's doing pretty good. You know, it's hard to be away from home. She's having to adjust to life, you know, uh, at school. Classes are pretty hard, but she's, she's doing okay. She's making friends. I, I think she's doing pretty good. I think Ella's doing pretty good at school. And, and I could say that and it actually would be true. But is that what I would say to Doug Penny? Is that how I would answer Doug? No. So here's what I told him. I said, man, it's passages of scripture. They're reading the Bible, and then they're getting a chance to apply what scripture says practically in their lives so that they can see that it's more than just knowing facts about the Bible, but they're applying it, and her faith is growing as a result of that. It's been a really tremendous opportunity for her to be growing in her faith. Like, I've, I've seen her growing a, a ton. And so this is what I tell my neighbor. And he's like, that's not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> but that's the real answer. That's the answer that a newly created person would give. That's what I would say to Doug Penny. Why wouldn't I say that to my neighbor? Of course I would. So that, the, the answers that an ambassador from another kingdom would give, that's the type of answer. And these are the honest answers that point people to the one who reconciled us and who can, that can lead them to salvation. And so we need to be giving honest answers to the people around us. Uh, and it's worth mentioning here, and this is my last point this morning, that while we're called to be ambassadors for reconciliation and to, and to appeal to people on behalf of God to be reconciled, we are not called to produce the outcome, right? We're called to produce the outcome. If you turn your Bibles back to Mark chapter four, this is the same section that we were in before, where um, Christ is giving all these parables about salvation and evangelism. And Mark has this um, extra parable here, which I love because it gives us a, a picture of the responsibilities of, of, of an ambassador versus the Lord. And so look at Mark 4, uh, verses 26 through 27, or through 28. 
And he was saying, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and he goes to bed at night and he gets up daily and the seed sprouts and it grows. How? He himself doesn't know. But the soil produces a crop by itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. So we see here the responsibility of the man in this parable is to what? He sows the seed. He casts it on the ground. Like an ambassador, we, we, we bring the message of reconciliation to the people around us. But then what does he do? He rests. He goes to bed at night. That's it. He's done his work, and he can rest in that work. He, the creator, the one who made the soil to actually bring about the crop. So he puts the seed down, and then it's the creator who actually creates this process of making the plants grow. The, the guy sowing the seed, he has no idea how this even works, but he knows his part in this, and he knows that through creation, that, that will actually bring about the, the produce. And so he does his part, and God does the, his part. And the same thing for us. Like, we cannot bring about the outcome, but we with the um, with the outcomes. All right. In the 1940s, there was uh, an ambassador to Japan, and his name was Joseph Grew. Joseph was an ambassador to Japan for 10 years leading up into to World War II. So after the U.S. dropped the two atomic bombs on Japan, it, it wasn't a sure thing that, that Japan was going to surrender at that time. Um, the Japanese culture is very much wrapped in honor and pride, and they would rather fight to the bitter end than to surrender to their enemies. And so Joseph grew, uh, being an ambassador to Japan, living there for 10 years, understanding the people and understanding the culture. He petitioned the president to offer this in, in, the, in the terms of peace. He said, offer the emperor of Japan total forgiveness for all his war crimes. For, for ex in exchange for a complete surrender and to allow the U.S. to fully occupy the country. And that's exactly what they offered him. And Japan took that offer because Joseph knew that the power of forgiveness when it came to breaking down pride and moving Japan away from total destruction toward total surrender. And in a similar way, as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, we petition the enemies of God that through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, there is total forgiveness of sins and all their sins and through surrender that they can be reconciliation and peace with God. So as we close our time in prayer this morning, I imagine that uh, some of us sitting here this morning probably need to start with confession. Um, I, I know that's where I started when I started coming through this, that I've been, um, I've been taking all of the, the benefits of being recreated and the equipping that I had, and I wasn't really using those gifts and that creation to, to be an ambassador to those around me. And so it began with confession for me. Or maybe we may have feared what people think if we, if we speak out and talk about our faith. And so maybe we, we need to confess something like that. But regardless of where we start, if we're starting with confession, um, what you may or may not have done in the past, God wants you to move forward in this way, to be his ambassador of reconciliation to the people around who he's brought into your life that you have an influence over. Or perhaps uh, someone, God brought someone specific to your mind right, a coworker or a family member, 
And he wants you to begin to pray for that person in particular. Or maybe just the courage to pray for open doors in general. Um, God doesn't always answer that prayer for the exact person we're praying for, um, but, but he'll bring someone if we have the courage to pray for them. So let's pray together now this morning as we close our time. Lord, it's incredible, it's incredible that you made a way of reconciliation for us to be made completely new through Christ. And what a gift of grace that you make us new and you equip us. You equip us and use us as your ambassadors to the world around us. Lord, we confess that we can lose uh, perspective on the things that matter most and the work that you prepared beforehand for us to walk in. God, as a body, um, as exchange, as, as, as fellow members of this church, help us to encourage one another to be doing the work of ambassadors. Help us to spur one another on towards this incredible kingdom work. Give us open doors, Lord. And give us boldness to speak as we should. Help us to live and speak in a way that points people to the King of Kings and to the one who can reconcile humankind to God. And we ask these things in the name of Christ.